0: A radio show that confesses Christ without
1: confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio.
2: Is that
0: Jesus can return at any time. He's not waiting for a... a Japanese nuclear power plant to meltdown. No, he, he, the thing that's holding him back is his patience and love for lost humanity and nothing else. Uh, there, 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 there are no events that need to occur before Jesus comes back. And so, seeing all the things that happen around us and saying, "Hey, hey, that means Jesus is coming," the answer is, "No, no, that's wrong. That's a wrong way of looking at it. Jesus can come
3: at any moment." Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. And Luther says the only way. That uh, the pronoun "me" and God could be in the same sentence is by this verb: "have mercy."
0: I've got—I've given myself the new nickname. I've thrown aside all the other accolades that you toss at me <laughs> so freely, Evan. Uh, yeah, they—they—they feel like, they, uh, they, they, they flow like, like a bull rider. Here. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> what else am I? I? I can't remember. I can't remember them I'm all either. Them. They're just too <laughs> numerous.
3: <laughs> <laughs> like a bad rash that won't go away. This this table talk radio. <laughs> Don't
0: keep your personal issues personal.
3: (laughs) Uh, It's everyone's, all of our listeners' problem uh, that uh, listen to the show. Uh, I threw you totally off. Now, you know, are you excited (laughs) about today's show? Oh, oh yeah. What are we doing again? This is this is probably going to be our best show since last show.
0: What are we you told me some astonishing figure the other day. Did we have something like thirteen hundred downloads a month? And I wanna know what our listeners are doing downloading the each show two hundred times.
3: <laughs> no 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 It's you, ridiculous. You didn't hear me correctly. I said thirteen. Thirteen <laughs> downloads <laughs> okay, good, <that's> right. <laughs> that makes more sense. <laughs> okay, You're well crazy.
0: You gotta download it four hundred times a week. Get those kind of numbers. <laughs> Something's
3: off. In today's program of Table Talk Radio, uh, we are playing this uh, name. This game is what sweeping the nation, isn't it? It's called a uh, Name That Calvinist Confession.
1: Oh um,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, I think <laughs> this is like everyone's new. The
1: wait, wait,
0: Calvinists wait. are running off, rubbing off on us because they have this kind of. Uh, what do we call that? A glutton for punishment. They. They. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> They get it. They do. They do bad things just so their parents will discipline them, kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, we're we're buying into that now.
3: Name that Calvinist confession. Well, sure. And then in the second Sheesh. half of the program, uh, we're gonna have a special guest, Dr. Cameron Mackenzie, is gonna be joining us for Answer the Question. As oh. so, you want to be sure to stay tuned for all of that.
0: Uh, That's that is ga- game for only well-trained theologians. That's true. And I we have one we have
3: one lined up for today. So <laughs> it
0: has to be a guest. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah.
3: Oh, the, yeah, that's obvious. Uh let's oh, do some buzzwords. Boy. My theological buzzword for you, I th- think we've used this before, but I don't bother to check anymore. Uh it's the word theodicy. Um, hey you're right. I think we've talked about theodicy before, the- but but uh theodicy oh. is the question uh summarized this way. Why uh If if God is is in control, if God is all-powerful, which he is, uh, why do bad things happen in this world? And this question always comes up after a major disaster, Uh, and and everybody's wondering, you know, where is God? If, If God is watching over us and he has control of all these things, why do these bad things happen? So that's the question of theodicy.
1: Yeah.
3: What's the answer? Uh, well, we're not given the answer to theodicy, but uh, the way Lutherans see this is interesting because after these things happen uh, all these different religious bodies will be you know saying and, and they say, well, this is God's will um, you know th- we don't know why it's happened but it's God's will and, and so all those questions are approaching God um, in in uh, in his hiddenness that, that that they're looking for answers uh, to this question where God has not revealed the answers. Um, but what God has given us is um, he, he has told us what he thinks of us, and he's, he's done that namely in his son. Uh, so uh, when, when we wonder, you know, is, is this coming because God is mad at us? Well, what we can know for sure is that, that uh, he is wrathful towards sin, but he has spent uh, his wrath on his son Jesus. And so when we look to the cross, we see that, that, that God does love us, and he, he loves us in, even in the midst of these uh, disasters. So, so we don't we don't go to the the parts of God which we which we don't know. We go to the parts of God which we do know, uh, namely in in Christ's crucifixion, um, showing God's love for
0: us. That sounds good to me. Good. All right. Uh, you have a theological a buzzword for me. Uh, Emmanuel. <laughs> How's that for a theological buzzword? That's a name of Jesus. Comes from Isaiah. Uh, And uh, and quoted by um, Matthew chapter one, and you shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us in Hebrew. Um, So Emmanuel, see if you can work that dude in there. That's the name, uh, because because Jesus is God with us, uh, God who takes upon our flesh, so that He might dwell with us as our friend and Savior. Uh, What do you like that? What if I work the theological
3: buzzword in while singing? Do I get extra points for that? Oh yeah. Loads of extra points. Sweet. Okay, well, let's hit some emails before we play Name That Calvinist Confession. (laughs) Who thought of that game? You, Mm. of course. Terrible. Okay, it says, Dear Evan and Pastor Brian, I am one of... Hey,
0: it's going to be Pastor Evan pretty soon. uh, Pastor Gig. Well,
3: I don't know, because this is going to be interesting, because by the time this show airs, I'll either be a seminary graduate or a seminary dropout, and it's exciting to find out which one I'm going to be. Um, <laughs> let's I, play name that what will Evan be in two weeks <laughs> I have a lot of work to turn in still and uh, mm-hmm. deadlines are approaching so we'll see if it gets Maybe
0: we'll, from now on out we'll just play uh, uh, help a seminary gag line with
3: his homework on the air well the problem is that I need to turn in papers so if you could maybe get a, li- like a dictation program going so when you're talking it's typing out what you're saying
0: we could, do, uh, we could have to go into, into an executive session to write
3: oh by the way buy this awesome cool new t-shirt called uh uh, has on the on the front there i'm an executive session uh (laughs) provided for you by table talk radio merchandise yeah yeah we
0: are we are your uh synodical bylaw t-shirt manufacturing specialists i mean (laughs) other people try but we (laughs) succeed (laughs) in fact i'm thinking about putting the whole um uh, the whole bylaw on one T-shirt, just printing out really small font, so I <laughs> can just have it with me wherever I go.
3: I'm pretty sure no one else tries.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they're they're intimidated, I'm sure. We we tread. We are the radio show that treads where no one else dares to tread. Uh, and How where is that? that? <laughs> I don't know.
3: Okay. Uh, email. Wherever we are. I think I you're, I think you're right. stalling again because you no, are. No, no, I'm ready. Get this, this email. Is this okay. <laughs>
0: Theodicy
3: is I am, the answer. Theodicy. <laughs> I am one of your two or three Lutheran listeners from Minnesota. My question is <laughs> There's for, only
0: like four Lutherans in Minnesota. <laughs> That's true. I'm sorry. Question.
3: Uh, my question for you is How should we view the present day nation of Israel? You have probably heard the charge from dispensationalists that. That Amillennialists practice replacement theology. I don't believe that charge, but I do come from a dispensationalist background and wonder how a Lutheran who has an eschatology base in Amillennialism views the present state of Israel. Many people use Genesis 12one 1-3 as evidence that we should support the people of Israel, especially when political leaders try to divide their land.
0: Uh, great good question uh, thank you for that. I think that um, and the answer is the way we view the modern day state of Israel uh, is as we view any other state. It is after all a state um, that th- there's a danger there's a danger always with Judaism w- with ancient Judaism and with modern Zionism, uh, which is also dispensationalism of um, of confusing this the two estates of the church and of the state Uh, we have in the old testament those two were together the church and the state was the nation of israel but in the new covenant or in the new testament there's a distinction so that the church is from every tribe tongue people when jesus says render to caesar what caesar's render to god what's god he's saying look there's no conflict now or at least there should not be between the state and the church uh, but but um, the dispensationalist tries to merge those together. And you see it in, in political movements, um, reformed political movements and evangelical movements, where they um, are emphasizing that the United States is a Christian nation, uh, as if a nation can can have the adjective Christian connected to it. It can't. I mean, there can be a nation with mostly Christian people and a nation that has a massive influence from the Christian doctrine, but there's no such thing as a Christian nation. Uh, and the same is true then for Israel. It is a secular state. And when you go to Israel and visit and talk to people about it, they'll say that. Um, it is not based on the belief of, in the Old Testament. Some Jews over there might uh, have that mistaken idea. So the way we treat Israel ought to be the way we treat every other nation. Um, we should consider their uh, our best interest and theirs and hope that they stand the same. But we should not see the reconstitution of Israel as a state in 1948 um, as a a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. That is to mistakenly read the Bible. So we can rejoice that Israel is a uh, a nation that has shared interest in the Middle East with the United States, um, but we should not make that a theological issue.
3: Yeah, this is why you have uh, so many groups... um, uh, who, we'll talk about, uh, prayer for Jerusalem or prayer for Israel. Um, and, and you're like, boy, how can, how can anyone have anything against that, right? I mean, we should be praying for all, all nations. Um, but, but there's a particular motivation for praying, uh, for Jerusalem in those cases. Um, but you're right, though. We should pray, we should pray for all, uh, any, any nation. Um, uh, we should, we should, uh, pray for all those, uh, who have needs. Uh, so that, That's right. that was from Willie in Woolbury, Minnesota. You can send hey, us an email you. too. We'll be right back.
1: Talk radio. <laughs> no, that's just silly.
0: I got it, oh, tulips. Hey, before we do this this new game that's going to sweep the nation, name that Calvinist confession. Yes. <laughs> it, just in case we have any insomniacs out there. Uh but I do have a story about this uh nation of Israel. I remember one time back when I was in Albuquerque and I went to I was kind of uh fighting my way out of the web of dispensationalism, like Frodo in the lair of Shelob in the Lord of the Rings thing. And anyway, I was uh, thrashing my way out, so I went to talk to this Jewish cantor um, there, and and uh, he was involved with the Southern Baptist Church in this program called Yad Bit Yad. It means hand-in-hand in Hebrew. And what it was, was this huge mega-Baptist Church was raising money to send uh, Jewish refugees from Russia to Israel, relocate them for the purpose of, you see, the the dispensationalist thinks that with the reconstituted nation-state of Israel, you're going to hasten the Lord's return. And part of that that return involves the rapture and then the conversion, national conversion of the state of Israel, and then the death of two-thirds of the Jews by the army, Chinese Chinese army marching across the dried-up Euphrates and all this stuff. And, uh, And I told this cantor, I said, hey, do you realize that the Christians... The reason that Christians are supporting this is because they think that uh, they're going to get raptured and all you Jews are going to be converted to Christianity and then two-thirds of you are going to (laughs) die. And what do you say? And he looks at me and he says, you don't bite the hand that feeds you.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, I have an email here that would be a nice lead-in to our silly Calvinist game. Um, silly. It's Calvinists are not silly. They're serious. Like when you
0: ask <laughs> Daniel, hey, Daniel, are you ser- are you silly? He says, no, I'm serious. Like a
3: Calvinist.
0: <laughs> that little last part he hey, does. So hey, uh,
3: could he record that maybe on, and we could
0: use that as a liner? I'm silly. I would, you know what I would use as a liner is that line from the debate uh, where Dr. Scare said, uh, it's classy up here. <laughs> what? Is that funny? I, mean, I don't get it. Oh, <laughs> That's
3: classy. I don't get it. Table talk radio. It's classy. We pull out the red carpet for him. Yeah, he. Yeah. You did? Oh yeah. I cleaned my room. I made made my bed. It's nice. nice. Okay. Uh, this is a email from Nate. He asks, do you make a distinction between Calvinists, whoever they are, and Confessional Reform folks, uh, of whom he does not ask who they are? I realize they th- there aren't many Confessional types left, but I had to ask. Your critiques seem aimed at our pietist branch, yes, we have them too, but miss the mark of our confessional churches. Have you read Dr. R. Scott Clark, or Dr. Daryl Hart, recently on issues, etc., or Dr. Michael Horton? These guys get criticized in our circles for being too Lutheran uh, for their stance on the law-gospel distinction, high views of the means of grace, the institutional church, two-kingdom theology, etc., uh, anyhow, I just wanted to thank you again for a great show. Thank you, Nate. You're
0: welcome, Nate. So, I don't know. Do we make every the Every Calvinist, thing? you know, two. you have two Calvinists, you have three opinions. They got Every Calvinist <laughs> has their own confession of faith. That's the problem, is that there's no standard for Calvinists. So you got the Baptist Calvinists, and they are far from things like means of grace. Then you have the not-Baptist Calvinists, and they say, well, maybe there's a little room for baptizing babies. You know, Calvin was a big fan of it. Uh, and they they have the spiritual presence of the Lord's Supper, not the uh, 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 not the, uh, the spiritual absence of Jesus in the Lord's Supper, like the Baptists would have. So, you know, you got there there is a, uh, a, a, a Reformed, oddly enough, this is kind of a strange thing to say. The Reformed are a big a big tent sort of uh, label, which is weird. Yeah, you know? I I've noticed this
3: whenever whenever I talk to a, a Calvinist of some stripe. The first thing he always does is disavow himself from other Calvinists. It happened with when we talked to Charmley, and uh, I was reading this book, *The, the Four of Views of the Lord's Supper*. You know, they always have to disavow, "Oh, well, we're not those Calvinists." Um, and, and you know, of course, we would want to disavow ourselves from, like, for example, the the ELCA. But they uh, remove themselves from the Lutheran Confession by by teaching contrary to to our Lutheran confessions, uh, which yep. brings us to this game, right?
0: yeah yeah, because there is one Lutheran confession I mean there's it has ten documents in it but it's one book but the Calvinist has a trillion of these things <laughs> now I've got cho- I've got this is an ABC game for you multiple choice questions so, because I
3: don't know if I yeah. can name more than one Calvinist <laughs> confession
0: yeah because I think I think these are the biggest although I don't know I mean who who can sort out this kind of thing who knows the mind of the Calvinist They know the mind of God, but I do not know their mind. All right. That was a joke, see? I wasn't listening. (laughs) Uh, So, here's your three options. I'm going to read from either the Heidelberg Catechism, 1563, or the Westminster Confession of Faith, 1647, or the Westminster Shorter Catechism, 1647. Just those three?
3: Yeah,
0: just those three. Okay. So, the...
3: Uh, Heidelberg Catechism, Westminster Catechism, and the Westminster Shorter Catechism? Or Westminster Uh, Confession, and then Shorter Catechism. Yep.
0: Okay, got it. Okay, here's the first one, and the worst one. (laughs) (laughs) Although God knows whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions, yet he has not decreed anything because he foresaw it as future, or as that which would come to pass upon such conditions. By the decree of God for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestined unto everlasting life, and others foreordained to everlasting death.
3: <laughs> okay. okay. Gives me the, uh, the jeebies <laughs> You may have to go brush your teeth just for saying that. I know. Wash out your mouth. <laughs> Um, Sometimes you got to take one for the team. I think, this this doesn't sound like a catechism, so I'm just going to go with a B, the Westminster Confession. You are right. Chapter 3
1: of
0: God's Eternal Decrees. This is the very prayable... Oh, no, no, sorry. (laughs) The Westminster Catechism is the very prayable catechism. This is not maybe necessarily prayable. Unless you pray something like... Lord, I thank you that I'm elect, unlike those other guys that are foreordained to destruction. <laughs> well, a prayer, a, pr- a form of prayer we learn in the scriptures. This is just frightful. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, okay. Do you want to hit another one, or do you want to come on? Oh, yeah. Up? Sure. Okay. Let's do another one. We get running out of time. Ready? You should recognize this. Everyone knows this. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) You ready? I'm serious except for I'm also setting you up for failure. Oh, I'm gonna give you points for that. Hold on a minute. Five hundred, right? Five hundred million points. Look, I know you gotta move pretty quick. You need to (laughs) get some more points for you. Okay. Question. What is the chief end of man? Answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever.
3: That would be the Heidelberg catechism.
0: Ooh, good, good, good uh, guess, but wrong.
3: Ugh. Okay, I, I think. Okay, you were tricking me because uh, you're putting it in question answer, which sounds like a catechism. Yeah. But just because I know you're trying to trick me, I'm, my second guess will be B, Westminster Confessions again.
0: Oh, well, that's a good guess, but also wrong. I want to guess. <laughs> okay. Terms, I
3: think that this is
0: <laughs> Westminster shorter catechism. Oh, you got it! This is genius. <laughs> All right. <laughs> This is the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What's the chief end of man? We should, you know, the Calvinists, if the Calvinists had uh, the, the they, I think they have the technical savvy. You know, there's a, there's a five Calvinist blogs for every Calvinist confession. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first, they should put this on a t-shirt. On the front, what's the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Um, now, what do you think about that? Um i don't know
3: i i think that the uh i mean it really puts the emphasis on man to god there doesn't it um it is. i would I would like to see the emphasis to be on uh uh God to man so that something like the the chief end is simply to receive the lord's gifts or to uh yeah what do you think of that this
0: is this is so fantastically interesting that the you know the Calvinists have as their kind of theological thing the sovereignty of god but this starts not with the sovereignty of god but with man it's it's it begins with an anthropological note the catechism does which is really interesting you don't necessarily expect it but it just goes to show uh that we can't uh, we we really um we have to work hard to escape our anthropocentric uh theology now uh the interesting thing where jesus says uh, now the Son of Man is glorified, if we want to talk about the glory of God. It's when he's lifted up on the cross to save us. So the glory of God is the the saving death of Jesus. We, um, I, I don't know, I'll have to ask our Calvinist listener if if, uh, if they could agree with that or not. Okay, last one. What is thy only comfort in life and in death? Answer, that I with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven not a hair can fall from my head, yea, all things must work together for my salvation.
3: This is a Heidelberg Catechism.
0: Hey, how did you know that? It
3: the only one we haven't used yet.
0: Hmm. I think we agree with that, don't we? Is that good? Yeah, I think... I I, I wanted to make the argument that uh, Lutheranism was the only with doctrine with comfort, but it's here in the Heidelberg Catechism, too. But I tracked it down. One of the two guys who wrote the Heidelberg Catechism studied under our buddy Melanchthon. Ah.
3: <laughs> so so, so we, can trace the, we can
0: trace the good in the Heidelberg
3: Catechism back to Lutheranism. <laughs> there it is. All right, when we get back, we're going to play Answer the Question As with Dr. McKenzie from the Theological Seminary. Don't go away.
1: Table Talk Radio. Not even our listeners can cancel us.
3: Welcome back to this third segment of Table Talk Radio. We have a special guest on the line for this segment... It's Dr. Cameron McKenzie. Dr. McKenzie is professor and chairman of the Historical Theology Department at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome, Dr. McKenzie.
2: Well, hello, Evan. Pleased to be on your show at last. We've talked about this for a long time, and finally, here I am.
3: Yeah, I'm glad we finally got around to doing it, and and, uh, we're happy that you agreed to play this game. Answer the question as... Which uh, we we will throw a disclaimer. It is a tough game to play. This is not easy. So we appreciate a, you taking a and, swing and, at it. And
2: you have to exp- you, you you have to make sure your listeners know that it was in a moment of real weakness and under deep <laughs> and hypnosis that I uh, ever said yes to playing this game. Well,
0: that's the same reason that most of our listeners are listening at yeah. a moment <laughs> of deep weakness. Yeah, most of the games that we play are are play at home games. You know, we're trying to teach discernment. And this sort of thing, but this game comes with a disclaimer, do not try this at home, we're what you call experts, at least Dr. McKenzie is. No, no, Uh, you're
2: mispronouncing it, we're spurts, and after we're done here, we'll be experts.
1: I think your program will be
2: canceled, it'll be gone. Well, We just have to hope that nobody knows anything who's listening, so you aim at what, second grade?
0: Well, we do have a very informed listener.
2: Oh no, no, no! Uh, so,
0: so we we'll see how we do here. They they'll correct us if they need
2: to. Uh, oh, so, well, yeah. Uh, so. I hope you have a multi many lines open. Yeah,
3: there. but don't you worry, Doctor McKenzie. Most of our listeners tuned out in our last segment when we were playing "Name That Calvinist Confession." So.
2: Oh well, yeah. <laughs> I, I I can't understand why. That sounds like <laughs> a stimulating uh, topic. I mean, wow, sounds not
3: like fun. All right. Well, let me read off the list for uh, the uh, options for answer the question as. uh, The questions are, what is original sin? Why did Jesus die? What is the church? How is a person converted? Tell us about the sacraments, which is a statement, not a question. Uh, What will the end of the world be like? And you will attempt to answer these questions as Martin Luther, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, three Johns in a row, how about that? Karl Barth or Rudolf Bultmann?
2: Yeah, well, you know, here's the terrible thing. I think I've got a crack at the first two. Luther and Calvin, mm-hmm. and I should know something about all of the others because I actually teach them in one course. <laughs> but I deal in broad generalities, so we'll see how specific my knowledge actually goes on this. We'll
0: see. We are connoisseurs of the oversimplified as well.
3: So. Oh
2: well, all right, that's good. We can do it. We can
3: do it. All right, so I will roll the dice for the question, and Pastor Wolfmeyer will roll the dice for the uh, person of history. Okay. And I just no rolled. Cheating. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. Wolfram, I just. No cheating. <laughs> I just I'm rolled a roll. four,
0: which is, how is a person converted? Oof. All right, and I'm rolling. Whoops. my I have to roll the dice on my phone, and it just went into sleep mode here. Let me roll <laughs> this thing. All right. Number four, John Wesley.
2: Mm, not, not the worst uh, question and answer for me. You know, Wesley was this great uh, evangelical uh, circuit writer and preacher of the 18th century. And so his operating assumption was that people are converted uh, when you preach uh, the Word of God to them. And so that's what he did. And his sermons are kind of pretty basic uh, law gospel kind of sermons. Uh, you're a sinner and uh, Christ uh, has died for you. Uh, And he believed that the Holy Spirit uh, was at work in that kind of situation and uh, would uh, elicit uh, the proper response of uh, faith. Now, a couple of things I want to add to that. Um, First of all, uh, the Spirit uh, sometimes uh, manifested His presence and kind of emotional uh, emotional responses um, to the uh, to the preaching of Wesley. So you might get somebody getting up and saying uh, weeping because they were sinners, or somebody else uh, getting up and shouting that now they were kings. You actually had some people actually uh, collapsing, and um, Wesley uh talked about having to revive them uh, subsequent to the uh, preaching so a part of the way the spirit manifested himself uh, in revival preaching with Wesley uh, actively participating was through these extraordinary uh, circumstances now a, a second thing I want to mention about that though is a little bit uh, more more theological in that Wesley was uh, a great proponent of Arminian theology, uh, which, as far as conversion is concerned, means that although you can't save yourself, uh, you, can, you have the capacity uh, to, to respond yes or no to the offer of, of grace. Now, of course, in a certain way, all of us do that. When God's grace is offered, we answer yes or no. Uh, But in Lutheran-slash-Biblical theology, uh, when we answer yes, it is solely on account of the Holy Spirit moving us to answer yes. So it's the Spirit who does the work of conversion. Well, in Wesley, it's the Spirit who kind of makes the offer. And in that situation, uh, the human being uh, freely offers yes or no. So he had a much higher kind of view of human capacity uh in spiritual matters than um, uh lutherans lutherans did. Um most of his uh contemporaries evangelicals people like George Whitefield here in America in the great great awakening were calvinists in uh their theology on this question of conversion but uh, our, uh Wesley insisted on universal grace and then uh this uh, human capacity for responding to grace
3: that's that's really fascinating because Pastor Wolfman there has put people to sleep while preaching, but never had to actually revive anyone.
1: Uh, so,
0: it's a little bit. Different. I gotta get this. It's on my list to get the uh, the um, ushers some smelling salts.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I'll give
2: you an anecdote. Uh, this is this is true. Uh, when I was a pastor in Detroit years ago, we had uh, Latin services, of course, and for some reason or other, this was this was a big mistake. But when the um, uh, it was time for the sermon, in order to kind of create a, a certain kind of meditative mood, we would dim the lights a little bit. And on this one particular occasion, uh, the chairman of our congregation, who was a dear fellow, but he was sitting up toward the front all by himself, and he fell asleep. And what really made it bad is he started to snore very loudly. <laughs> so it, it was not a... Not not uh, unknown to everybody that uh, some people, at least, were being put to sleep by my servants. So. <laughs> Did, didn't know what to do. You, know, just, up there, so you, know, you like...
0: just have to wake them up for the offering.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Right. That's important. You got that right. Yeah.
3: <laughs> All right. Well, that was very good. Let's do another round here before our next commercial break coming up. Rolling the dice here. And I got, oh, four again. Should we do a different one?
1: No, I'll do a different
3: one. All right. We'll do do a different one. Five, uh, tell us about the sacraments. And I'll roll here. Six, Rudolf Bultmann.
2: Oh, oh how interesting. With, how a, with interesting.
3: about two minutes here, Dr. McKenzie.
2: Yeah, well, you know, Bultmann was a major higher critic who contended that the um, documents of the New Testament, the Gospels included, were basically the invention of the Church. So that those texts that talk about the sacraments tell you more about the Church uh, that uh, developed the Procopies than they ever tell you about the historical Jesus. Boltzmann is just not interested in what we would call the facticity of the Scriptures. He's more interested in what um, the, the effects that scriptural preaching and proclamation make on the individual. Now, having said that, I can't say specifically what he would have said about either sacrament, except to, except that for him, those things would be, uh, um, uh, challenges, uh, to, uh, people, uh, to respond in faith toward the future, uh, to look, uh, to give up their search for security in material things, the things of this world, um, and instead to kind of live in an otherwise meaningless world, as if there were meaning and hope. So whether he believed that the sacraments actually went back to the historical Jesus or not, I don't know, but I don't think for him it would be important. What would be important would be the effect that they would have upon those who
3: participated in them. With uh, just a minute here, Dr. McKenzie, where do we see uh, Boltman manifest himself today?
2: Oh, I think uh, Boltman is still a very big influence. In uh, uh... most seminary communities uh... in terms of um, uh... an approach to the scriptures uh, you know this idea that instead of reading the bible for what it tells us about jesus uh... we read the bible uh... for what it tells us about the church that created the scriptures and then from there we see if there's any application to our own situation and if there's not we can kind of throw those pericopes out or reinterpret them or like but the idea that the bible is the product of the church at best to kind of manifesting uh, the effects of faith uh, rather than accounts of what actually happened in time and space i think that's pretty characteristic of boltman and pretty characteristic of uh, lots of uh, biblical criticism that goes on today
3: All right. We are joined by Dr. Cameron McKenzie. He's professor of history at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, Don't go away. We have another 12 minutes after this break with Dr. McKenzie to continue playing Answer the Question As. So far, we've, we've, uh, he's addressed, uh, questions as John Wesley and Rudolf Voltmann. We'll see what's up next. You are listening to Table Talk Radio. Stay tuned through this break. We'll be right back.
1: Someday somebody's gonna ask you A question that you should say yes to Once in your life Maybe tonight I've got a question for you If you're not easily embarrassed, tell your friends about Table Talk Radio.
3: Why do we never get an answer when we're knocking at the door? with a thousand million questions about hate and death and war. And you're back to Table Talk Radio. Here with Dr. Cameron McKenzie of uh, Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, professor and chairman of historical theology, playing the game Answer the Question As. And it's now time for another uh, set of questions uh, and, uh, figure from history. I'm rolling the dice here. I'm getting, oh, four again. That four keeps popping up. Let's mix it up.
0: Uh, six. What will the end of the world be like? And I got, oh, I got six Rudolph Boltman again. Let me get someone else here. Oh, five. Carl Barth.
2: Oh, now that's an interesting, uh, question. Um, Carl Barth, you know, is usually associated with, uh, Neo-orthodoxy, and that means that he can talk an awful lot like a traditional Christian, and um, when he explains what he means by uh, end times and so forth, he can also sound like an orthodox uh, uh, Christian. But you're not always sure that he means it. Um, and as far as the end of time is concerned, I'm not. I'm, I'm not so sure that that uh, Karl Barth would actually uh, believe in a, um, a literal second coming of our Lord and a literal uh, judgment of the quick and the dead. But on the other hand, I could probably pull off something from my shelf in which he explains it, in which he sounds pretty orthodox. Um, let me add, add this to my answer to that question. Another, another um, term that's used to describe his theology is that of crisis, really in the sense of the Greek word, "crisis," And that is judgment, and that every day a human being uh, lives out his existence uh, under the judgment of God. Uh, and this judgment of God plays itself out in different ways, but the solution for this is a leap of faith uh, in Christ. Uh, and so the way one... Um, lives life and deals with uh, judgment or the demands of God is uh, to live it uh, in Jesus Christ. But now, is the Jesus Christ uh, in whom we are to live through faith the historical Jesus, uh, the one who literally died and then rose again? Well, that's a question of facticity or a question of history that Barth is not interested in either asking or answering. So uh, there'll be a lot of affirmations of uh, uh, Jesus, death, resurrection, and the like in his theology. But it's always questionable as to whether he thought, like a traditional Christian, that these were events that happen in time and space, or whether instead these are somehow uh, rhetorical devices uh, through which uh, people are encouraged to... uh, uh, live uh, in, in a in a meaningful way, as if the lives they live were significant and would culminate in in something in something better.
3: Oh, that's uh, m- much better than either of us could do. So I think uh, you're doing great.
2: <laughs> well, I, I just again hoping no experts are really listening, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know he and he and Boltman are we're both um, big on existentialism philosophy, and you know the presupposition of existentialism is that um, human beings kind of create their own meaning. But both of them as Christians uh, thought that uh, the human being created his own meaning in response to something. And the something could be the proclamation of the gospel. Uh and so in a certain way, you say, well, yeah, that's right. That's how we do have a meaningful and significant life. We we know that Jesus forgives our sins and that we look forward to the resurrection of the body. But the problem with these guys is that it's not clear whether they thought uh, that the Christ event actually happened in time and space, or whether it was just some kind of significance that Christians had attached to the historical Jesus uh, without it really being uh, something that... You could say, yeah, God really did intervene. Jesus died, he rose again, and as Peter says in Acts, uh, he appeared uh, not to everybody, but to witnesses like us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. That whole kind of notion of facticity or historic historicity is something that, with these existentialist theologians, um, you just don't you just don't know what they held to.
3: All right, let's hit another one
0: then, uh, rolling the Didn't dice. Dr. McKenzie say he's comfortable with J- uh, Luther and Calvin, and we haven't gotten a Luther or Calvin. Yeah, I know.
3: this is, yeah,
2: this is clearly not qu- quite fair. But, of course, you probably <laughs> give me a Luther or Calvin question that I can't answer. So. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, I just rolled a number two, which is, why did Jesus die? Okay. All right, and I rolled a
2: three. Jonathan, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, very interesting, hmm. Well, uh, Jonathan Edwards is an 18th century Calvinist, which means that on questions why did Jesus die, he would hold to kind of an orthodox Calvinist position uh, that God willed the death of Christ to pay for to pay the penalty for the sins uh, of the elect, um, and so uh, in, in, in a kind of substantial way. He's going to, he's going to, we're going to come up with answers that sound a lot like John Calvin. But what's interesting about Jonathan Edwards is that he tried to um, explain things uh, in a way um, to modern, uh, to the audiences of his time using some of the new philosophical uh, concepts of his uh, time. So I'm not going to do a very good job on explaining how he did that. With respect to uh, the atonement, um, but I can explain for just a little bit. We'll pretend like you had asked me uh, how was a person converted. <laughs> um, <laughs> you this, you know, this is like a politician, right? I'm going to answer the question <laughs> I want rather than the question you asked. Sure. Answer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> what Jonathan Edwards did was to um, take use, uh, make use of John Locke's uh, philosophy of knowledge. Which is the idea, you know, that uh, we don't we don't know anything uh, except that which is provided by the evidence of our senses. And so how is it that we come to know anything about God and particularly his love and goodness in Christ? Well, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to give those who are chosen for salvation a new sense, a sixth sense, if you will, of the holiness and of the goodness of God in Jesus. So he used uh, the language of Locke's epistemology uh, to explain uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. So he is a Calvinist, and his answers are pretty much always Orthodox Calvinism, but he tries to explain them in a way that uh, the people of his day would make sense to the people of his day. So he's a very uh, interesting uh, figure in that regard. He's famous, of course, for his sermon on the sinner in the hands of an angry god um and but and it is it is a very powerful sermon but it's all law and it is not really the whole story of uh jonathan edwards uh salvation uh it'd be kind of like if the only thing you knew about martin luther was bondage of the will well you know something and you know something that's important uh, but there's a lot more to luther uh, than that just as there's a lot more to jonathan edwards than uh that particular sermon.
3: All right. I think we have time for one more if you're up for it. Sure. Shoot. All right. Rolling dice and land a one. What is original sin?
0: Okay. Oh, I got a six. Who was six? We had that already. Yeah. No, the six again. Hold on here. <laughs> three, Jonathan Edwards. One, Martin Luther.
3: Ha! All right. We can oh, end with Luther.
2: Oh, yeah, well, that's a great place to end. I mean, the original sin is, first of all, it is the sin of Adam that actually happened in time and space. So we're not dealing with uh, philosophy here. We're dealing with historical reality. It's a sin, uh, the consequences of which God, in punishment, has imposed upon all the progeny of Adam, uh, and therefore that every human being uh, conceived uh, uh, from a man and a woman is uh, subject to uh, um, sinful corruption or moral corruption, let me put it that way, Uh, which has physical effects, but more importantly has spiritual effects, so that every human being, on account of original sin, that is the sin inherits from his ancestors at the time of conception, is uh, an enemy of God by nature, blind to the uh, things of God, uh, completely enslaved uh, to uh, the sin and the devil. Now, it doesn't mean that as a creature, uh, human beings are bad, but as a fallen creature, human beings are bad. In other words, God created something good, uh, but Adam, in obedience to the devil, uh, followed it up, made it made it bad, made it wicked. Uh, and the only way to deal with original sin is for God himself to deal with original sin through the saving work of Christ.
3: We've been joined by Dr. Cameron McKenzie's Professor and Chairman of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Thank you, Dr. McKenzie, for joining us on the program.
2: Well, you are very welcome. It Went a lot faster than I thought it would. So, yeah.
3: Well, you. you know, I I had you for my TI, and I think that was a lot tougher than the TI. So I gotta I gotta give it to you. <laughs> yeah,
2: you gave me you got your revenge. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Well, anyway, thanks, guys.
3: Thank you. Got appreciate to be with it. You. All right. We'll sounds good. good and thanks for listening to this edition of
0: Table Talk Radio, where the points are like the gospel in Jonathan Edwards' sermon: sinners in the hands of an angry God.
1: <laughs> You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like your feedback on today's show. Call us toll-free, 1-800-385-SOLA. That's one 800 sola Or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. You can listen again to this show or any of our past shows on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening and tune in again next time through Table Talk Radio.